you to open your Bibles to uh, Proverbs chapter 24. We're going to be looking at the last 10 wise sayings here in a little bit. Um, the last song we just sang talked about us being the hands of God to bring justice and to show mercy in the lives of individuals. And sometimes we could sing a song like that and we think of it almost in romantic terms as if that's really, really easy. As if those that need justice are just going to be an easy group of people to work with or those that need mercy. The fact is, in anything that we do that requires us to be the hands and feet of Christ, it requires a lot of work. Whether you're adopting children, whether you're reaching out to a community, whether you're helping the homeless, whatever it is, it takes work. There was some time back I met with an individual over Skype or actually over the phone um, who was in a, a real bad place. And so he asked if I could come alongside of him and help. And, and so I said, you know, I'll do what I can, but it's from a distance. This is a person who lives a, a far, a long distance off, so he's several states away. And so I certainly encouraged him to get in contact with his local church, but I would be a friend and try to help him out. And as he described his situation, first of all, his marriage was in dire straits. It was in a really, really bad place. And his marriage was in that bad place largely because of the choices that he had made. And it wasn't until his wife was ready to leave him or actually had moved out that all of a sudden he got, it got his attention like, you know what, maybe I'm investing in the wrong stuff. He had invested in so many of the wrong things. And then he shared pretty much the, the doozy mistake that he had made, and that was that he had allowed himself to get emotionally attached to a person over the Internet. Now, this person that he got emotionally attached to, he had never seen. He had ne never met her. And yet he started to fall in love with the concept of this individual by the words that were typed on the screen as they chatted back and forth. And, and I think the reality set in that he was more in love with an idea of a person rather than the substance that he had right before him every day. And I, I think it was probably another hard reality, knowing that he had never seen this person, knowing that he had never met her, that it really could have been some guy named Jimmy in prison writing him, posing as a female, and he had given up so much for that. So I began asking him, I said, tell me a little bit about your story. Tell me about your salvation experience, because you are a Christ follower. You say that you follow Christ. Yeah, I, I follow Christ. I said, well, let me ask you a couple questions. Number one is, have you ever had a love for God's Word? Has there ever been a time where you just absolutely love God's Word, you want to take God's Word in, you want to understand the heart of God? And I said, the reason I'm asking that is John 14, 21 says this, whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he it is who loves me. God's pretty simple. You love me by obeying my commands. He says, well, you know what? I've always used the excuse that I don't like to read, so yeah. I really don't have a love for God's Word. I said, okay, here's a second question. Have you, do you see the work of the Spirit in your life? We're told in Galatians that there's fruit of the Spirit. 
It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's gentleness, it's faithfulness, it's self-control. I said, do you see those? Do you see yourself having a deeper love for people, for your wife? Do you see a gentleness in you? Do you see self-control? I went right down the line. He goes, you know what? I don't, I don't honestly see those things. I said, okay, I have one more question. It may seem like a strange question, but here's the question. What's the difference between your faith and the faith of a demon? What do you mean? I said, well, James says that the demons believe in Christ, and they shudder. They shudder. So what's the difference? And he said, there is no difference. Then I explained to him the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel, when Jesus preached this message, he said, we are to repent and believe. Now, I told him, I said, I think in American culture we have the believe part because it seems to be an easy believism. Believe in Jesus, walk an aisle, say a prayer, just do that, and you're in with God. And we have totally missed the fact that Jesus said, repent and believe. The idea of repentance is where it's hard, especially for us in America culture, where it's all about consumerism. It's all about being self-made. It's all about my accomplishments in life. And what God is saying, it's all garbage. It doesn't matter at all to him. He doesn't care what kind of letters you have to have after your name. He doesn't care what kind of accolades you have in life. It doesn't matter. In fact, Jesus made a pretty clear statement. If anyone's going to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me daily. And then I explained to him right after that, he said this. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. If you want to save your life in this time, this day and age, and I shared this with him, I said, you're going to lose it in the end. But... Whoever loses his life will save it. He thought about it. He came back to me, and he said he gave his life to the Lord. Now, I don't know whether he did or not. Only time will tell. I hope so. I hope that the God of justice, the God of mercy, the God of grace has really helped him understand and remove the veils, just like I hope in, in the church today he does that. But time will tell. I've seen men get very spiritual because they want to get their wives back. So we'll see what happens. But you know, it made me think about the condition of the church. And I have been praying for something. And I've been praying for God to awaken us as a country, as the church, that we would understand the heart of God. And that we would first understand whether or not we really have an authentic, true relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I simply start out this morning because we're going to talk about the life principles that God wants us to do. And they're very much on the influence side of things. It's about what he wants us to do in this life. But let me tell you that we will never have the influence with this world until we first have this intimacy with God. An intimacy that starts with us not just believing in Christ, but that we come to a place of complete surrender. That there is a repentance of our sin in saying, God, you are a holy God. I am a sinful individual and I give everything completely to you. And my prayer 
My prayer is that God would awaken our hearts. That we, and I know many people here have given their life completely to Christ, and you have. But that God would just light a fire in us for us to do what God wants us to do. We have a short time. We need to make the most of the days we have. Let's pray before we get into God's word that God would work in our hearts even today. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the power of your spirit. I thank you for the power of your conviction that you bring in our lives. And Lord, maybe there is an individual here that has believed but not completely repented. Would you please show that to him or her? I pray, Father, that you would reveal yourself because that's what you said that you would do. You would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Lord, for the believer that is a Christ follower, for the many people that are here that are like that, I pray, Father, that you would just quicken our hearts to the things that matter so dear to you, that they would matter so much to us. So, Lord, I pray that you would do your work in your way in our time. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Proverbs chapter 24 Verse 5 and 6 gives us our 21st truth. If you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at 30 wise sayings of Solomon that all really have to do with the influence that God wants us to have in this life. If you haven't heard 1 through 20, you can go back and listen to those messages. I would encourage you to do that. This will finish out our time in Proverbs. And then in the month of September, we're going to be looking through passages in the book of Acts and Luke 10. You'll see the outline in your bulletin. I'll explain a little bit more about that later. But then in, Fe in October, we are going to be going on a journey this year talking about faith. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter, and then we're going to be looking at Hebrews 11 between January 1st to, uh, to Easter, where we're going to be looking at every person that was a character of faith, and we will examine them from the Old Testament perspective. And my prayer is that God would increase our faith. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God so that God would build our faith. But right now, we are on truth 21. This is what God wants us to know. And the first truth is this. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Take a look at verse 5. It says, a wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. Now, notice what enhances it. It's wisdom, it's knowledge that enhances his might. For by, for by wise guidance, you can wage your war. And in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Now take a look at what, the, the wise, what Solomon and his wise group of men are saying. They're saying in verse 5, it's telling us that truth uh, gives us the truth that power comes through knowledge. Power comes through knowledge. It's not through our brute strength. It's not through an iron will. It's through the knowledge of the Lord. And then he gives an illustration in verse 6 about a king that wins a victory. A king is going to win a victory if he has wise counsel, not just brute strength. Now, we have seen this truth in our own day and age. There is no greater military might than the United States Army. There are no group of better trained men and women than our military. And yet in 2007, we found ourselves losing the Iraq war that we were in. 
I'm not making a statement as to whether I like war or don't like war. I'm giving history here. And we were losing that war. And it didn't come, the change didn't come until President Bush at that time got his war council together and he got the advice on how we need to win this and they came up with this thing that we now know as the surge and they had General David Petraeus is the one who enacted it and at that point they started winning the war. Now church, this is the point. You and I, we might have an iron will. We might have brute strength and all kinds of energy to carry out our personal mission. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's raising your family. Maybe it's helping plant the church. We might have brute strength. But let me tell you, brute strength isn't going to get it done. What's going to get it done is when we have the wisdom of God and that we act on the wisdom of God. And sometimes the wisdom of God doesn't, doesn't sink in with our emotions because sometimes there are things that God tells us to do that we don't understand, but we need to listen to what God has to say. And so this is the first point that Solomon and his wise counsel brings. Knowledge is power. Now, the second is like it. It is ignore the advice of the fool. Take a look at verse 7. Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate, he does not open his mouth. What's it mean, in the gate, the fool does not open his mouth? Well, in order to understand this, you need to know what in the gate means. In the gate at this time is the place in the city where court was held. It's where all the judicial and uh, legal matters were decided upon. Now, in order for you to speak at the gate, you had to be proven and respected. You were considered an elder of that town. You had to be proven and respected. Now, the counsel that we are receiving here is that we need to listen to proven and respected people because there's always going to be the voice of foolishness out there. How many times have we made a decision because we had a little bit of truth and a lot of bit of speculation and a lot of gossip that went into our decision making? And he says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't listen to that. What you need to do is go to those that are proven and respected to get the information and for you to understand how you are to, to, to be guided. Now, I'm thankful that we at Mission View have those that are proven and respected. Some of you don't know this, but these are the elders at Mission View, uh, at Mission View Church. Now, you might look at some of these guys and you, you don't know them very well. But I want you to know that they meet the qualification of 1 Timothy. Josh Chandler is in process of becoming an elder at Mission View. And so I'm thankful for the collective wisdom and leadership. These are the people that stand at the Mission View gate for you. And they are going to make the best decisions possible based on what they feel the Lord is leading and the health of the body. We move on to truth number 23. Truth number 23 kind of goes in a little bit of a different direction. It's this. We create our own reputation. We create our own reputation. Look at verse 8 and 9. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a what? A schemer. Whoever plans to do evil will be called by others a schemer. 
The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. Now, in this passage, we see a person who has a mind that's bent on doing what is wrong. They are doing, they are inventing things that are evil, crafty, and this is the reputation that they have gained for themselves by people. But also, God says that they are an abomination. That's God's evaluation, meaning it's no good. What they're doing is no good. Now, this would be a horrible evaluation for God to give to any one of us. There is, though, a positive principle that you and I can draw from this, and that is this. We are the ones that determine our reputation by our actions. You and I do that. So here's the evaluation time. When people think about you, fill in the blank with your name, what do they think about? What kind of reputation do you have? Do they think of you as a complainer? Do they think of you as a talker? Or do they think of you as a driven person? Do they think of you as a complacent person? Or a humble person? We can go back and forth, all kinds of characteristics. They might think of you as an upright integrity type of a person. You have everything to do with your reputation and how you build it. Now here's the deal. If you don't like your reputation then it is your job to identify what is the sin, what is the thing, what is my pitfall that gives me that poor reputation, and you need to ask God to root it out of your life and for God to replace it with his character. Now, you might have an excellent reputation, and I would say build upon that reputation. Think of the things that you want to continue to work on. Just remember the wisdom of Benjamin Franklin. You remember him saying this? It takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only one bad one to lose it. We create our own reputation. Truth number 24, strength in times of trouble. It's a simple verse. Look at it. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Think about that. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now, I'm going to guess the one thing that is true of every single person in this room is that we hate adversity. You might be one of those weirdos that loves adversity, but I don't think you do. We all will do everything we can to avoid adversity, any kind of pain, any kind of trial. We want to avoid it like the plague. But the reality is, God says adversity will come. It is unavoidable. It will come in your family. It will come in your job. It will come in the church. It will come on every facet and every level. It is unavoidable. But there is something that God wants to do through adversity. Do you know what it is? This is what 1 Peter says. I love this. Listen to this verse. The, the verse. The adversity comes so that your faith may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your faith proven genuine. If you look at that in its context, it'll talk about the refiner's fire. We don't like the refiner's fire, but God uses adversity as a refiner's fire. Friends, here's the deal. 
the true, the, the true measure of one's spiritual strength and faith is proven in the crucible of adversity. We will go through trouble. And what God wants is he's calling us to be strong, for us to be dependent upon him. We can all talk a good talk, but the reality is when these things, adversity comes in family and in relationships and in church and in many other places, God says, don't shrink back. Don't give up. Don't give up. I'm refining you. I'm refining your faith. And I'm speaking to some today that you're right there. You're in the crucible of adversity. And I don't know what it is, whether it's at work, whether it's in your family, or where you are in life. But God says, hold on. Do not give up because I am with you. Truth number 25. Truth number 25 is more of a formula. The formula is this. Love equals action. These two verses that I'm about to read are some of the most profound verses, I think, that are in Proverbs. Listen to this in verse 11. Rescue those that are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter, to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay a man according to his work? See, in this truth, we not only see the heart of God, we see the expectation of God for you and I. In the first verse, in verse 11, we are given that he addresses the issue of injustice. He says, rescue those who are being taken away to, to death. The fact of the matter is, injustice has been and will always be around us. But we shouldn't just look at it and say, too bad. We should say, God, how do you want me to be a part? How can I help? Maybe it's through prayer. Maybe it's through actions, other actions. We have always had, in my lifetime and your lifetime, we've seen the genocide of those in Rwanda. We have seen in our lifetime, uh, just even more recently, Christians being uh, executed by ISIS. We have seen in our own country so many millions of babies that have been slaughtered through abortion. We have seen children that have been exploited through the sex trade. On and on and on, we can look at injustices. But here's what I want you to get. Let it sink into your head. God expects that you and I will be his hands and feet. It's his expectation that we will be his hands and feet. Think about it. Throughout history, God has always used people to carry out his plan. There's only one time in history that God himself intervened. And it was because nobody else could do what he had to do. He was the only one that could go to the cross and bleed and die for the sins of all humanity. He had to do that. But outside of that, he used Moses. 
He used the prophets. He used the apostles. And throughout church history, he has used one good man and one good woman after another who have simply yielded their hearts to God and said, Here am I. Send me. I will be used of you, God. Use me. And that's how God has formed and forged Christianity where it is so rapidly growing even today because he has used us as his hands and feet. This is why James chapter 1, 17 says, pure and undefiled religion looks after widows and orphans in their distress. This is why Hebrews 13, 3 admonishes us, remember those that are in prison as if you were a fellow prisoner. Now, if you allow, I'd like to be very specific on this point because of what verse 12 says. I'm taking a little bit more time because verse 12 says we're accountable. Mission view is accountable. Look at what verse 12 says again. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weigh the heart perceive it? God knows our heart. Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And, he will, and will he not repay man according to his work? Many of you know that we sponsor a home in Thailand. Many of you are part of that. But some of you don't know the reason why we do it. Now, I want you to know the reason because it's been, it's been revealed to me. I've seen it firsthand. And now I am responsible. And so I don't want to be the only one responsible. I want you responsible as well. Here's the reason. And I have to be graphic in helping you understand this. I want you to meet a little girl. Her name is Shriyong. Shriyong is a beautiful young lady that we met in 2005. When I say we, the Remember New Ministry that we partner with, they met, they met Shriyong at that time. Now, Shriyong lived with her mother and two brothers on a houseboat earning about $25 a month. That's what they lived on um, in, in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Now, what we learned, or remember new learned, sometime after this photo was taken, was that Shrian was sold into the sex trade at such a young age. Now, here's what we know for certain. It is factual that those that are sold into the sex trade are forced to service 10 to 15 men per day, seven days a week. And so if that is the case, then Shrian has serviced over 30 thousand men in the last 10 years and if that's true then that means that Shriyong is probably among what is known as the lucky dead this is Chopli Chopli is the result of forced child prostitution fast forward they are the lucky dead we are told by UNICEF that 1.2 million children are sold into the sex trade every single year. I can't stand by and do nothing. I can't do that. That could be my baby. That could be my grandchild. I can't do that. The solution. This is why we partner 
with so many key partners. Every partner that's in our mission out, outreach, please understand, they're not like, hey, yeah, let's just partner. No, they're, they're strategic. And Remember New is strategic. And this is what we do with Remember New. We believe, we have a belief that it would be better if these girls could be rescued before they are ever ravaged. And so therefore we provide a home where it is safe for them. And so uh, those children that would have been sold, we can intercept that and those children could be in a home. And the children that you at Mission View, those that you support, those children, I am so thankful that every one of the, the girls have been sponsored. For every single one that has been sponsored, let, uh, let it be known, you saved their life. They would have gone into the sex trade. No doubt about it. Thank you. This is why we send money over to help with transportation. This is why we're sending a team over in October. And friends, I could go on and on and on about applications to this passage. I could do that. And there are so many ways that we can even look locally from adoption to the homeless to in every area. And the question is, how are we involved? Sometimes it's easier for us just to put a check in the, in, in the, in the, in the bank or in the offering plate and just trust that it's done. But sometimes God wants us just to be the hands and feet of Christ to someone closer to us. Here's what we need to know from this passage. God will not excuse us for our cowardice, lack of moral courage to do the right thing. I'm not saying that that's you. I'm saying he just doesn't excuse that kind of behavior. I thought it was wise for us to do a selah. A selah in the Psalms is a pause. I want us to think about this. Josh, some of you received, uh, hopefully you received a paper like this. Um, I wanted to clarify that these boys are the house parents' sons. Um, they are not at risk for the sex trade. I want to be really clear, but the family lives on very, very little, and so it would be helpful for them if their boys were sponsored as well. They're workers, so it would be like paying an employee to help out and supporting them. So We go on to 26. I know we could end right there. But God has more in his word. So truth 26 is sweeten your life with God's word. Take a look at verse 13. My son, eat honey, for it is good. And the drippings from the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there, you will, be a, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. Now, this truth puts a taste value on God's word. He likens it to the drippings of honey. Now, I don't know how many of you city people, me included, uh, have really had much to do with getting bee or getting honey from the honeycomb. I want you to know when I was, I think, 12 or 13, I went to stay with my cousins in West Virginia, way back in the back of a holler, and 
my job was to help collect honey. Now, I have all kinds of story from old Con and Tom's house that we're not going to talk about today. But I will tell you, I had a job of collecting honey and putting the net on and taking all the honey out when it was ready. And I can tell you that when you take the honeycomb out and you, they put it in this big vat and you just took a piece of that wax with the honey dripping and just putting it in your mouth, there is nothing that tastes better than that. And this is the imagery that God is giving us about his word. Think about it for a moment. What else in this life can transform you? What else in this life can take and read into the deepest recesses of your heart and can help you discern right from wrong? What else in this life gives you the encouragement that you need, the motivation, and sometimes the exhortation that we need? What else does that? Nothing. God's word is what does that for us. And so if we want to do justly and we want to act with mercy and we want to walk humbly with God, it starts with understanding the heart of God and the heart of God is so sweet. And my encouragement is that don't take for granted this, this Bible. Don't put it away this Sunday and get it out next uh, Sunday morning. Use it throughout the week. Someone told me this this week. I don't know who to give credit to. Bob was sharing it with me at lunch, and I thought it was so good. So he heard it, some preacher say this. He says, if the word is in you, you will use the word to change the world. If the world is in you, you will use the world to change the word. We don't want to manipulate God's word. We want God's word just to manipulate us and to change us. Everything else in this life is garbage compared to God. Truth number 27. I'm going to read the verse and give you the principle. Then I want you to watch something. It says, the righteous keep getting up. Take a look at verse 15 and 16. Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do, not, do no violence to his home. So there's those that come against the righteous. This is what he's talking about. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumbles in time of calamity. Watch this. Okay, how many of you are Rocky fans? Okay. When, that, when the, the bell goes off and you know that there is a war that's going to go on, I, I admit that I'm a fan of all 21 Rocky movies. So, uh, okay, there wasn't that many, but uh, Rocky Four when he beats the Russian. And what I love is the tenacity of getting up after getting hit and just, just going at it and staying into the fight. But I love the analogy that I think that God has given us in this passage when he says he's knocked down, but he rises again. The imagery is that even though we are hit by the enemy, and the enemy is ruthless with us, he is going to knock us down every time, and he's going to use our feelings to do so. And he is going to get you to, uh, to feel rejected. He's going to have you speculate. He wants to oppress you. He wants to discourage you. He wants to get you to doubt any way that he can. And it's constantly a battle that we are going with the enemy. And unfortunately, sometimes God or enemy uses individuals as agents to help bring those blows to us. But what God is saying is, don't let go. Trust in me. 
See, it says the righteous fall seven times and he rises again. How is it then that this is possible? Listen to this verse I found that I have hold, held on to for many years in Psalm 70, or 37. It says this, verse 70, uh, verse thir chapter 37, verse 22 and 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. Do you realize that God delights watching over your steps? Do you realize that he is like, your, like you as a daddy watching your little kid? He watches over you. And it says, when he falls. Notice it says, when he falls. He's not saying, oh, if you fall. No, no, no. We will fall. Adversity will come. He will not be hurled headlong because it is the Lord who is the one who holds your hand. Church, do you realize that whatever you're going through right now, God is holding your hand. He will help you up every single time. He will help you and help you understand what you need to know. Go back to his word. Uh, he will use his word in our life. It is so true. Truth number 28, love your enemies. Verse 17, do not rejoice when your enemies fall. That's a hard one. And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn his anger away his anger from him. See, this truth flies in the face of what we want to do in our earthly, fleshly nature. Don't we love it when the enemy is humiliated in the movie and the victor is uh, the hero is the victor in the end and he's the exalted one? There would have been no Rocky. Five, six, and seven, if the Russian would have defeated him and destroyed him. There would be no sequel to Katniss Everdeen if she had failed. Now, if those of you that have no idea who Katniss Everdeen is, Google it. You'll figure it out. And yet, we are told that we're not to gloat over our enemy. Everything in our society says we should. Here's the fact the fact is, we all have somebody that is a thorn in the flesh to us. And sometimes in our heart and our mind, we wish the worst on them. What does Jesus say? He says this in Matthew. If someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn them the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Then he goes on and says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. This may not be the answer that we like, but know that it's God's job to avenge. It is God's job to vindicate your name. Truth number 29, don't envy sinners. Look at verse 19. Fret not yourself because of evildoers and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Doesn't it make you mad when evil prevails? I look at certain things and I look like at creeps like Larry Flint or Hugh Hefner who are considered the founding fathers of the pornographic plague that we have affecting our society today. And they seem to be happy. They seem to be prospering. 
It ticks me off when I look at organizations like Planned Parenthood who have been used in so many ways to destroy, murder the lives of innocent little children, and yet they are funded well, and they seem to prosper and go unscathed, even though there's all kinds of videos out in society now. We look at celebrities that have made their, uh, made their living, their lucrative living off of kind of filthy means. And sometimes we look because we're struggling. We're struggling to make it through life. And there's a part of us that says, come on, God. Well, what about me? I'm trying to toe the line. I'm trying to do it honestly. I'm trying to do it morally. And it seems like I'm barely getting by. Come on. And yet God says, don't fret. Trust me. See, their future is yet to be determined because they will be held accountable to me. But if you're a follower in Christ, you have a much greater future than you realize. We are to love our enemies. We're not to envy sinners. And here's the final thing. And we close with this. Respect authority. Look at verse 21. My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise, for disasters will arise suddenly for them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. Now this verse has kind of a surprise. We expect God to say, fear the Lord. But we don't expect him to say, and fear the king. And fear the king. Because this is much harder, especially when we don't particularly, some of you might not like the king that we have. But notice that the Lord and the king are used as instruments to get us to, to deal with the rebel. Now, God, what God is doing here is he's capping off all 30 truths, all 30 truths with the idea that we have to submit under authority. Do you realize that this is probably the number one issue that every one of us have to do, even in salvation? The reason why we have a hard time repenting is because we want to be the authority. We want to call the shots. This is the problem we have in life is submission under authority. And if we can't submit under authority, even human authorities that God has established, read Hebrews 13, or Romans 13, 1-7, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13-17, all human authorities are given by God as an instrument of God. It doesn't mean that they're all righteous. But God has developed a system for us to learn to submit. And unless we learn how to submit, we'll never know how to really lead. We have to start with submission. And so we close out these 30 sayings with this idea of submission. What do we do with that? This past week, I had a gentleman from Mission View come into my office, and he just said, you know what? I gave my life to the Lord this week. I'm like, awesome. That's great. I thought you were a Christian. No, I did. I, I gave my life to the Lord. And here's the deal. I was fearful. I read this passage. Matthew 7 says this, and he says, this is what's been haunting my mind. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, and your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. And then he explained to me that he felt like he had a need to repent, that he'd never done that. He didn't have a love for God's word. He didn't see the spirit of God working in his life. Yes, as a child, he raised his hand. 
Yes, he went into youth ministry and college ministry, even head up some certain ministries. But he said, I did it all without a heart that was fully yielded to God. He says, this week I've realized I need to submit to God completely. Praise God for his salvation. Friends, I told you at the beginning, I'm praying for renewal. And it might mean for some that we come to this place of saying, yeah, I need to repent. I believe, but I need to repent. There are others of us that have given our life to God, and all we need is a renewal to the passion of, of doing what God wants us to do, for us to be an instrument to reach out to those who are perishing, to those that are in need, for those that cannot help themselves. And so what I want to do during the last two songs is the first song is more of a reflection song. And I want you to think about the words, and then I'm going to come back out, and I'm just going to lead us in prayer. Prayers of confession. And if you would agree with those prayers, you can stand up, you can sit down, you can kneel down, whatever you want to do. But I just want you to think about that, and then we'll close out from there. Dear Heavenly Father, you know exactly where we are as an individual. Your spirit speaks directly to our heart. God, first of all, I want to pray for those that would say, Lord, I need to fully yield it to you. I fully need to yield completely to you. I've believed in you. But Lord, just repenting, turning from my sin, turning every aspect of my life over to you, I confess that has not been the case with me. And so Lord, I lift my heart to you. I pray that you would just confirm in my heart this work that you want to do in me. Lord, I pray for the believer, the Christ follower, whose heart needs to be moved as my heart needs to be moved for the things that your heart hurts for. Lord, each one of us can look at this world and we see how big it is and all the needs that exist. Help us to know our mission. Help us to know each of us what you've crafted us for. Would you place upon us a growing burden, a growing passion? Maybe it's for adoption. Maybe it's for the homeless. Maybe it's for helping the poor and needy. Maybe it's for helping with rescuing girls from the sex trade. Lord, whatever it is, it has to be a burden from you. Would you burden our hearts? Help us to see what it is that you want. And Lord, we present ourselves humbly as a church. And we're asking, take us, use us, we're just a small congregation in a school. But Lord, you have your way of taking a small group of people and turning the world upside down. Lord, would you do that in us? Would you do that collectively with the body of Christ? Those that would claim you 
that would follow you. May they not just do church, but may they be the church in every aspect.